your number one source for election coverage and analysis. This is Gerard at Large. It is 21 minutes after the hour here on the Gerard at Large radio show. We're pleased to be in studio with Bob O'Sullivan. He is a one-time school board member who served many years ago in Manchester's Ward 2. He uh, went for the brass ring in a hard-fought campaign against Ron Ludwig eight years ago. And now that uh, things have changed for him, he's back looking to be the alderman in Manchester Ward 2. And that's about what I know of you, Bob. So good morning and welcome to the Trial Large Radio Show. Good morning, Rich, and good morning to your listeners. Uh, thank you. Glad to have you. So, Bob, uh, why don't we uh, get down to business here, tell people a little bit about who you are personally and professionally, and then we'll be on to the uh, race for alderman. Oh, thanks. Uh, so I grew up here in Manchester. I've uh, been living here my whole life. I've lived on uh, Blodgett Street in Ward 2 for the past uh, uh, 18 years, uh, and uh, I work at a company, a great company called uh, Spectrum Marketing Companies. Oh, yeah. And uh, we are a, a, a direct mail marketing uh, solution-based company that uh, you know, we do uh, all, you know, local, uh, regional, as well as uh, uh, national accounts for direct mail. I gotcha. All right. And how long have you uh, – what, what's, your, what's your role there? Are you, so I'm uh, major accounts manager. Major accounts uh, yeah, manager. Yeah. So you know, I just go out and, and, and sell, push the rock. <laughs> push. You know, that, I've, I've done sales for 20 years uh, plus, and I've never heard it uh, referred to as push the rock, but that's damn accurate. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> the big rock. Yeah, the good thing about it is uh, you know, there's a lot of tools in our tool belt, and uh, I'm very fortunate to work there. It's a great company. and uh, Yeah, you guys are a pretty big operation. Yeah, we are. Yeah. So, Bob, um, you decided to get into the race for Alderman here in Ward 2, which is uh, basically south of Webster Street, north of Bridge Street, west of Union Street, all the way out to the border, more or less. Yes. All right. I know that one because I live in it. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> and I've been around for a little bit, as you know. So what uh, what prompted you to get into this race? What brought you out of um, you know an otherwise happy yeah. business and personal life? Uh well, as you mentioned earlier, uh, I was on the school board, and yeah. I enjoyed that, and I ran for alderman, uh, lost by, I don't know, 54 votes or something like that. Was that. A tight, so, yeah, very yeah, it was tight close. Race. It was close. And uh, uh, so I reflected back, and I said, okay, my son is young, so I'm going to uh, take some time off, um, spend some time with him and, and, and my family. And now my son, who's a, a junior at Trinity High School, uh, he's getting ready to obviously go to college, so I want to take an opportunity to... Uh, get back into politics, something that I enjoy. So you've you've been uh, a resident of the city your whole life. You've been in the Ward 2 neighborhood for a whole long time. What do you see as the issues facing the city and and the ward? And what are, you know, how would you go about it? So, you know, I, I think that's a really important question. And it's, it isn't so much what I see. It's what the, the people in Ward 2 are telling me. Um, when I'm knocking on doors, uh, there's... Uh, Three things that resonate most of the time uh, that I'm uh, that folks talk about: uh, one is taxes, two is the opioid crisis, mm-hmm. and three is government transparency. Uh, all three are rightfully in the center spotlight. So I want to hold off on the opioid thing because I want to spend some real time talking about that because you've actually put out a proposal that's raised um, eyebrows, hackles, and, and a lot of discussion. Um, and, and frankly, I think it's long overdue that somebody actually bring up what you brought up. Um, as we fish for solutions to this thing, but when it comes to uh, taxes and transparency, let's let's talk about those and 
Uh, do you see a connection between the two, or what are some of the things that uh, you think the board has done wrong that if you are an alderman, you would not do? Well, I, I think that you know government transparency is important at uh, at all levels, and I think uh, the transparency connects to every issue that the um, the board of mayor and aldermen talk about um, uh, and vote on all the time. As far as taxes, uh, knocking on doors, uh, uh, it, it, it really hits me um, when I talk to uh, older folks, um, and I say older that are, you know, I mean, I'm old now, so it's, 50, <laughs> so, it's so my age, 52, and I have people that are... <laughs> so, <laughs> no, please, so, they, thanks for giving me my cane. I'm only yeah. four years younger than you are. <laughs> so <laughs> it's, you know, people that are trying to plan, uh, that have that have planned well in their life, and they're... Um, moving towards their retirement years and uh, their houses are getting paid for and the kids are leaving the house and um, they're looking uh, to enjoy that part of their lives. And they tell me that uh, they don't want their taxes to go up. They can't afford their taxes. And they're asking me to hold to the tax cap. And uh, that's my commitment to um, uh, the Ward 2 residents, that I'm not going to override the tax cap. Now, the the primary driver of the spending in the city, uh, which has caused the tax cap to be overridden in each of the last two years, has been, uh, frankly, uh, union contract pay raises. The teachers, the police, uh, you know, they tried to get one through on the firemen. That, that one, Mayor Gatz's veto held on. Uh, what do you say uh, uh, to people who tell you that education's important, public safety's important, but you've got these these uh, tax and spend issues that you're trying to uh, to to address. How do you reconcile the need for safety and education with the need to keep taxes, you know, uh, from from spiraling out of control? We only can do so much with the with what we have, and I think that's the, that's the challenge, not just for our, our city of Manchester, but also for everybody's household. Um, everybody <clears throat> has a certain amount of revenue, and they have to make hard choices. I think um, that obviously the the city employees uh, they work very hard. They're very dedicated. Uh, they deserve to have uh, you know good pay, which they do. They deserve to have uh, good benefits, which they certainly do. Uh, but we have to balance that with um, what the voters want and what they're able to sustain. So, and if I'm not mistaken, uh, your opponent has secured the endorsements of every one of the major unions that endorses. I think the firemen are behind him. The police are behind him. The teachers are behind him. Um, Does that mean that uh, you're anti-education or anti-public safety or, and and how do you square it? See, it always bothers me in these, these local races where the unions get involved helping to elect the people that are going to vote on their contracts after they've negotiated them. Yeah. So uh, I'm not, uh, anti-education, uh, you know, I'm not, um, uh, you know, I mean, I want our kids to flourish. I, I, it's, an, uh, it's a cornerstone of our community. Uh, I think that from my experience being on the uh, school board, it's how we allocate those resources and maximize those resources mm-hmm. uh, to produce the best results. Um, I think uh, sometimes when you're looking at making some uh, some changes, at least when I was on the board, you know, uh, the teachers' union is a as an obstacle in which uh, prevents some change to happening, to reallocate some resources. Um, and that's not to say that people don't deserve a raise. And when we can afford to do that, I think we, we should do that. Um, but it can't happen 
every year. It can't happen every contract, and it needs to be a balance. So let's uh, let, let's move on uh, and, and talk about your 30-60-90 plan. You sent a mail piece out to the ward. I actually, I actually got it. Um, I think Saturday. it was. I think it was just this week, actually. Yeah. Either Saturday or Monday, you probably got it. Yeah, I think it was probably Monday, uh, and it was uh, unusual for a campaign flyer in that it seemed to be uh, relatively detailed on your thoughts about yeah. the pl- you know your proposal and why you were proposing it. So um, and. It's gotten attention. I think that's a fair way to put it. It certainly has, Rich. Well, I think one of the frustrations people have with, you know, we have Safe Station, um, we have Drug Court, we have all of this money, all of this effort being put in, and yet we have people, you know, I've had police and fire chiefs sit in the studio and tell me stories about, you know, people who've been Narcaned sometimes three times in a day. Yeah. You know, and then another, you know, two or three times the next day. And it, it's almost like they're playing Russian roulette, knowing that, you know, people are going to come and save them kind of thing. Um, let's tell people what 306090 is. And then I give you a carte blanche to sort of explain your thinking as to why you proposed it. Sure. Uh, well, you mentioned the safe stations. I'll start with that. Uh, a couple of Friday nights ago, I spent about eight hours at the Central Fire Station as a ride along. Uh, Chief Coon gave me permission to do that. Um, and really uh, saw firsthand uh, the the situation here in Manchester. And I'm not saying that uh, you know seven uh, seven hours uh, gives me the full scope of uh, the challenges, but certainly I um, certainly you got an eyeful. I, I got an eyeful. Uh, and um, and coming away from that, uh, certainly see how difficult it is for these people that are addicted to opioids to um, try to live their lives. Uh, and and feed their addiction and uh, the homelessness, uh, the people living, it's just uh, terrible, uh, unsafe conditions uh, for them, but also too for you know the public as well. Um, one thing, I, uh, the other part I take away from the, the working with um, working, you know, riding along with mm-hmm. the firemen is uh, uh, they are pretty amazing. I'll tell you that uh, the teamwork. I've seen, when the bell goes off, the stuff that they're able to accomplish. Uh, I was impressed with that. So I do. Uh, I, I, I did want to come out and say that. Um, so as far as the thirty, sixty, ninety, uh, like you said, Richard certainly has gotten a lot of uh, attention uh, locally and uh, nationally. I've gotten a lot of calls. Um, one part of the mailer that was put up on Facebook uh, just focused in on the, the, the involuntary incarceration uh, for um, the first offense, second offense, and third offense. Mm-hmm. And um, it's really a treatment-based program. And uh, when, I'm, when I'm looking at uh, the numbers from September that I got from uh, the fire department and how many calls uh, for drug overdoses and, and, um, and how many deaths um, as much as um, all of our community um, leaders, uh, politicians, um, counselors, police, fire, we're all putting our best effort forth, but mm-hmm. it's not working well enough. Um, and I think we need to change the discussion a little bit. And essentially what this is is a, you know, a working blueprint. I know that it's, it can't be enacted uh, right away. Some laws need to change and amended. And uh, and certainly, I'm sure that with input from um, the professionals, 
uh, I, uh, changing it and tweaking it, I think it could be uh, a way to save lives. And I think that's most important. Well, I, th- I think the thing that's catching the most heat is people say that your proposal criminalizes addiction because it says if someone you know gets narcan as part of an overdose call, that they got to cool their heels at the county jail for 30 days or 60 days or 90 days yep. uh, while they undergo mandatory drug treatment. Does it matter to you, Bob, where, say, the mandatory treatment might take place? I mean, does it matter to you whether or not it's at the the Valley Street Jail or the Farnham Center, or is your intent here really just sort of uh, do something to try to break the cycle of addiction for people that are overdosing so that the police and fire departments don't have to go multiple times to future overdoses involving that same person and potentially uh, not win that battle at the time it's fought? So as far as... Meaning the life is lost. Right. As far as the criminalization, uh, you know, my plan would uh, currently right now, someone, um, you know, the the first responders go to um, an overdose, uh, Narcan is administered, they're brought to the hospital and... uh, Well, they can refuse to go to the hospital. Yeah, but most times from when I've talked with firemen, they they usually don't. You know, they usually, you know, they they really do need to go to the hospital. So most times that's that, you know, that's what happens. Mm -hmm. Um, after the hospital, um, they're let go and, you know, going back to their addictions. And, and as we see the numbers, uh, the uh, statistics show that it's not working. Right. Um, so. <clears throat> What's it called now? Revive and release? Is that what it's been called? Well, that's what I called it. Yeah, just I, as you called it. Okay. Yeah, right. I, I, and, and I think that's what it is, revive and we release. And <clears throat> there's not a lot of uh, intervention there to really get these people help, uh, specifically uh, the criminalization part of things, I, I, you know, my plan, uh, the concept of it, would they would go, um, you know, through the drug court into uh, Valley Street Jail. I talked with um, Dave Dion at the jail. Uh, they have a whole unit that is available, mm-hmm. uh, 96 beds. They currently have uh, uh, medical um, supervision, doctors um, there. So you're saying it or the, the capacity, the capability to do this, you believe, already exists in the Valley Street Jail? Oh, that's what I've been told by Dave. There's 96 beds. There's a whole unit right now that's right. closed and it's not being right. and, used. And for people who don't know, Dave Dion is the superintendent of the uh, the Valley Street Jail. So um, <clears throat> because this addiction, this opioid addiction is so strong, and uh, you know, again, the, the numbers just show that in the crisis all across the country, uh, you know, we're looking at, you know, most people are familiar with a family intervention. This is really a community intervention. Uh, we need to be able to uh, put these uh, these people that are addicted to opioids uh, into a situation where we can medically detox them safely and then give them time to uh, get a clear head and understand uh, the services that are available out there. Uh, uh, we also have the Keystone um counseling services that are currently in the jail as well, they're opioid uh, counselors. So they would get counseling during that time, um, but they would not be able to leave. I think that is an important part. That's why the involuntary incarceration is, is, is I think, is important because right now if someone uh, has Narcan administered, uh, they, their life is saved, they go to the hospital, they could go to one of the, um, uh, the, the services here in Manchester um, and walk went, away, and walk away, and because the addiction is so strong, the numbers show that that's exactly what's happening. Um, I'm sure it's not happening for everyone. I'm, I'm sure some people are are continuing their sobriety, 
I think we need a stronger intervention. I think we need to give these uh, the, the addicts more of an opportunity to have their family and friends get involved and uh, counseling uh, and understand that, um, you know, in the past few days that they were dead and that uh, if they continue uh, uh, this addiction w- without getting help, um, that it's sooner or later probably going to end up in death. Um, so, uh, so yeah, I, I do believe it needs to be an involuntary incarceration. And because uh, you, know, and you ask, you know, where it should happen, well, I think there's only so many places that you can have a locked facility. And seeing that we already have that available, um, uh, I think that's a, that would be a good use of our service. All right, uh, uh, Bob, we have Mike in Ward 8 who uh, wants to chime in on this. Uh, Mike, uh, thanks for calling. Hey, thanks a lot. Thanks, Bob. Thanks for being on today. I, thanks, I just Mike. want to talk about the 306090 plan. You know, I, I've been in the criminal justice system now for 25 years and clearly seen um, a drastic uptick in the drug use. But the problem I have with the 306090 plan is, number one, the facility at the jail um, is not adequately funded by the county, number one. So while they do have a program, I think it's called SATCO, um, yes. it is not up to the level that it should be. And when you take someone who's been narcan and to put them into jail, you know, they have constitutional protections. Number one, when they're arrested and they're going to be incarcerated, um, you know, they have the right to court-appointed counsel, and at the same time they have a right to a trial. So it doesn't mean that they would automatically be shifted into drug court. It's really a choice of, of you know, what the defendant at that point when they're arrested would want to do. So I think the problem that I see with this is there are constitutional protections for anybody who's going to potentially be incarcerated. And I think that uh, it, it's a little bit short-sighted to think that the jails or arresting our way out of this is necessarily going to curb the problem. I mean, I understand your plan, and, and I think that the philosophy behind it is, is you can applaud that. But I think the reality of it is that when they go through the court system um, to be incarcerated, 30 days, I can tell you seeing people go in and out of there within 30 days, or even 60 days, their addiction is not cured, and oftentimes they leave the jail with little to no drug treatment, even now. Mike, they I, come out and they use, yeah. Mike, I, I, I don't mean well, to they, interrupt, but I, I'm, I'm going to ask you to wrap it up because I'm up on the clock and I want right. Bob to respond to what you're yeah. saying. Mike, thanks for calling. Yeah, and, just, and, 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 yeah no and, problem. Yeah, and, I, and you make up some great points. Uh, you know, uh, again, this is a blueprint. Uh, you're, uh, the idea is that, uh, you're right. We need to change some laws to be able to have this happen. Uh, and, uh, you know, uh, certainly we can do some kind of protective custody, perhaps up to 72 hours to let the court uh, take its action and uh, put these people in there. Uh, but uh, the the idea uh, is not the focus is on the incarceration. Uh, the the focus is on treatment. And and I think that as as much as that, you know, Again, all the community leaders and politicians and, and all our services were not stemming the tide. <clears throat> it's still a, a, obviously a, a crisis, and uh, you know part of uh, this plan is to open up a discussion like this, Mike, from someone like you that has that experience to poke holes in it, and then let's say, okay, how you know if 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 the uh, uh, if the basis of the idea is to help save lives and give people treatment and get them on their life to sobriety, um, then let's let's figure out the best way to do that. I'm not saying scrap what we're doing now, 
but maybe um, you know, having someone like yourself and other this is another piece of the puzzle. Another, another expert say, Bob, okay, I understand what you, you're trying to help these people, but you can't do it this way because of the reasons you, that, that you just said. Well, then how do we – How do we do it? How do we do it? And so, uh, so thank you very much for calling in, and uh, uh, I appreciate the, the input. All right, Bob, we unfortunately have uh, run through our segment here. If people want to contact you, learn more, uh, otherwise be in touch, how best do they do that? Uh, you can go on uh, my uh, Alderman website, uh, uh, uh The whole plan is laid out there. You put your comments in there, um, and uh, that'd be great. And uh, I, uh, I'll be knocking on doors this weekend. <laughs> That's O'SullivanForAlderman.com. Bob, I appreciate you coming in. Uh, hopefully we can get you back between now and uh, the, the election. Yeah, thank you very much, Trish. I appreciate it. And uh, give me a call anytime. I'll come back. All right. We'll do that. And we're going to take a quick break for traffic, weather, and sports. When we come back, James Patrick Riley is in the house. We go from the opioid crisis to an 18th century. uh, Well, you'll find out. Stay with us.